Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to episode 115 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and I'm flying solo for this episode. We're going to bring you a very interview-heavy podcast. It's our special Women's World Cup kickoff show. The Women's World Cup kicked off today, Saturday, in Edmonton. First game, Canada 1-0 win, ground it out in the end. Not the best match, not the best performance. All that matters at the end of the day is the Canadian women got the win, got the three points. So we're pretty cock-a-hoop here at AFTN Towers, partly because of the Canadian women's win, also because the Whitecaps won tonight. First ever win for the team down in LA, going into their little break period that they've got now, really, really with a bit of momentum, and psychologically, that sets them up great for the end of the season. But this isn't a Whitecaps episode of the podcast. This episode is dedicated entirely to the Women's World Cup. So as we said, it kicked off today. Two games played. Canada won. Netherlands beat New Zealand 1-0 in the other game. I do have to say a little bit of a worry in that both Holland and New Zealand looked better than Canada. Both teams looked like they could have the beating of Canada. But at the same time... Canada, a lot of pressure on them for this game. The girls handled it really well. They didn't let the emotion get to them. And when that goal went in, you just sensed the emotion. I mean, you saw it in the players' faces as Christine Sinclair ran over to John Herdman. Everyone just jumped in. It was a massive hug. And when it focused in and you saw that the joy in, in, in that kind of huddle and John Herdman giving her a big hug, I have to admit, as a non-Canadian... My eyes even welled up. It's like it was a very emotional moment. So pleased for the girls, so pleased that they got off to a winning start. Huge pressure off them. And although it wasn't the best performance, and although I've said the other two teams did look better today, I think Canada will relax a little bit now, play more of their football, and hopefully get another two wins and top the group. We did a couple of podcasts with the Canadian women last month. Watch out for episode 109 and 113. And one of the things that we discussed was if Christine Sinclair isn't getting the goals, where are the goals going to come from? And you saw it today, a lot of huffing, a lot of puffing, a lot of chances. They just couldn't get that breakthrough. Also got the lucky escape when China crashed that wonderful free kick off the post. Looked like that had beat Aaron McLeod, but thankfully didn't get past the post. Those are the breaks that teams need to, to win championships. That is the mark of a champion. If you're not playing well, you still grind out the win. That's all you can ask for. So good luck to the girls in the remaining group games. And hopefully we'll see them in Vancouver for the second round and the quarterfinals. So the Canadian players made their debut today on Saturday. This will be coming out on Sunday. And on Sunday, the other Canadians in the tournament are going to make their debut. Yes, the Canadian officiating team. There's two full referees... Caroline Chenard and BC girl Michelle Pye, as well as two assistant referees. Now all four of them are making the long trip east to Ottawa on Sunday, where they will be the officiating team for the Group B game between Germany and the Ivory Coast. Now Caroline Chenard is the girl that has the, the referee's whistle for that one, and the fourth official is, as I said, BC girl Michelle Pye. Now we got a chance to catch up with Michelle just a couple of days ago, just before she headed east, just to ask her how excited she is about her first World Cup, what got her into refereeing, and a little bit more about her background and just hopes for the tournament. So here is 
Michelle Pye. Uh, so we're joined now by Michelle Pye. So Michelle, a couple of days before the World Cup set to kick off, your first World Cup, how are you feeling right now? Really excited, really anxious to get going. We've been training and preparing for so long and we've been working so hard and it's great that the games are starting. I'm excited. And watching the training, it's really, really rigorous and intense. I didn't actually know that you guys went through as, as much <laughs> as that. How many times a month or a year do you go through a session like that? Well, we train five or six, sometimes even seven days a week. And then we will meet three to four times a year to run fitness tests, just for checks to make sure that everybody's still fit and healthy. But we're training at a high intensity almost every day of the week. And what was it that first really got you to get into refereeing? Because obviously referees get such a hard time. I always wonder why anyone actually wants to do a referee. So what was it that that got you into doing that? Yeah, I think if I realized it was this hard, I would have quit a long time ago. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, it's, It's great to be on the field with great players and it's a great way to remain part of the game that you love. And I started refereeing when I was 19. I grew up in Kamloops, a small town, three hours east of Vancouver. And I started refereeing just because I, you know, was wanted to be part of the game. I, I had slowly stopped playing and it was a way for me to remain in the game that I enjoy. I, I saw, I watched a video that you've got up on FIFA.com and it mentioned that while you were a player, you were encouraged to go through referees training. Do you think it would actually help and make referees' job easier if more players actually went through that training themselves while they're playing? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that having a basic understanding of the laws of the game will make players better and it will make games maybe less contentious sometimes. You know, so I think it, it's great. If you're going to play the game at a high level, you should know the laws of the game. So I think it's, it's, it's an advantage for sure. Uh, what's the one thing you're most looking forward to from this first World Cup? Like, when you think about the journey that lies ahead, what, what's the one thing that, that really kind of gives you goosebumps? The thing that I'm most proud of is that we have a team of four Canadian referees and we're going to referee our first match in a couple of days. And to walk on the field with three other women that I consider my friends, that we've been in the trenches working hard together for so long is, is such an honour. So I'm, I'm just proud to be part of such a great team. That was going to be my last question because the first officiating was announced today. So I take it you're going to the Germany, Thailand with Caroan and, and the other Germany, two girls? Yeah. Oh, Côte d'Ivoire. Yeah. How soon do you get told what games you're getting? Is it quite close to the actual game? Yeah, it's usually about 48 hours before we'll get notice of um, our games because we have um, certain preparation for each match. So we need at least about 48 hours notice in order to be prepared mentally and physically for the game that's coming up. So, And a lot of times, especially in Canada, we're going to be travelling to all the matches. So we, we need ample time to get there for sure. That's true. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michelle. Thank Good you. luck with everything and I hope you have a fantastic World Cup. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you cool. so much. Thank you. Thanks. So it was good catching up with Michelle there. We hope she has a great tournament, as with all the Canadian officials. In fact, with, with all the officials. Now, we got a chance to speak to Michelle when FIFA did a, an open training session for the referees on Thursday. It, it was good to go along and watch it, because I'd never really thought that actually referees trained. When you watch some of the games, you kind of think, what, they, they actually train them? But as it turned out, it's a very rigorous and a really intense training that they get. What they put on on Thursday for us, the referees and the assistants were split into two groups. One group, first of all, did about an hour's fitness training, while the other group did technical training, and then they switched. What the technical training involved was the assistant lineswomen would just like practice seeing if they could see infringements, flag raising, running up and down the line. Um, the referees themselves were getting tested on whether they could spot various infringements, how good they were at marking out the the 10 yards at the wall, using the spray can, everything like that. Watch out for an actual article on the whole thing on AFTN later this week. Now the two Canadian referees, Caroanne and Michelle, have got a lot of experience behind them. And the experience kind of varies between the referees that are going to be in the competition this year. Now the youngest referee is Honduran referee Melissa Borjas. So we thought we'd, we'd have a little chat with Melissa. Partly because she was the youngest referee, partly because she comes from a family of referees, and also partly because she comes from TUC Yalpa, which as Whitecaps fans listening to this will know, is the home of the Whitecaps CONCACAF Champions League opponent, CD Olympia. So we had a chat with Melissa just about the tournament, her refereeing background, 
and what the Whitecaps can expect when they head to Honduras later in the year. Here's Melissa Borjas. Hi, so thank you for, for joining us today. I, first thing I was wanting to ask you, it's your first World Cup. How excited are you going into this first Women's World Cup for you? Yeah, it's my first World Cup. Uh, it's a really pleasure to be here. Um, the emotion is excitement. It's just to be, uh, to want to take actions in the, in the match and then decide and participate in this big tournament. Now, I was watching your video on FIFA, and it mentioned that you come from a family of referees, and it was your uncle that encouraged you into getting into the game. Could you maybe just tell us a little bit about that story and how you you first started refereeing? Yeah, that was uh, my uncle, uh, his name is Carlos Pastrana. He was uh, also a FIFA referee, but a system referee in my country. Um, until he participated in the in the World Cup in South Africa, he ended his career, so he had to retire. So he asked me because he don't have a family, so asked me if, if I want to participate because uh, since I was a child, uh, I play football also. So when I was studying in the university, I don't play football anymore. So he asked, uh, can you? united to the referee family try to do it and if you like it so the end I like it I enjoy it and it's a passion so what would you say is the the best thing about being a referee and what's the worst thing Uh, well the best thing for me is that this job push it so hard push it and push it that can can allow you to grow up in different game, grow out not only in the games, grow out outside. And the worst part, I think that always that uh, thing lose. <laughs> we are the the bad guy in the movie, so like uh, bad actors. That for me is the disappointment for the the persons or the spectators or the team that lose the game. Sometimes it's difficult to manage, right? Because they fall to the referee and against to the referee. When in the game, we uh, we job was so clear, so good, but they feel it uh, that against us. You're from Tayosiyalpa, yes, in Honduras. Yes. Um, the local team in Vancouver, Vancouver Whitecaps, are going to be playing Olympia. Uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League. So for all the the Whitecaps fans listening, what what can you tell us about the city? We've heard it's got such a short runway, um, but what else can you tell us about the city? Well, my city is not not so big. Uh, It's the capital for uh, political themes, you know. Uh, But... uh, if you are visiting the other spectators, some spectators visiting Tegucigalpa, you will enjoy it. You will keep visit around Tegucigalpa. We have a lot of nice places with nice weather, uh, beautiful woods, beautiful uh, places to enjoy with family, to taste and the food that we made. Uh, that's a nice, a nice, nice place to be to know. And have you watched many games of Olympia? And if, if so, what what uh, what the, what's the atmosphere like there? Well, it's one of the teams um, with the most uh, spectators, but most um, followed. The, the Olympia has uh, a lot of fans um, in all Honduras, not only in Tegucigalpa, it's in all Honduras. Um, also, uh, well, I work uh, with Olympia in the minors leagues, uh, not with the first the league that in the Coca Cola Jazz, yeah, the first team. Uh, so, but you can wait anything. That one guys, uh, maybe four guys for the minor leagues, not already uh, playing in the first team. That because they are so good, they have the opportunity to unite to the first team. So, a really, really big thing in tradition in Tegucigalpa. Now, you're the youngest referee in the competition. I think that some of the assistant referees yeah. maybe are slightly younger, but yeah. the actual main referee, you're the youngest. How, how does that make you feel to know that that you've got here with people that's got more experience, but then you're starting out in your career and you're getting this chance? Yeah, that it's nice when you saw the old experienced referees. Uh, I can learn from them. I can watch them and 
entire completely empowered uh, the knowledge they well, uh, they talked with me for knowledge they and I ask always I ask for advice and feeling like uh, I not feeling like that youngest <laughs> really in the tournament uh, I think that the age is not uh, it doesn't reflect uh, uh, majority or doesn't reflect experience, right? Uh, at the end, we have to show what we got uh, in every match. And I think that uh, at 28 years old, I think that uh, this tournament can open me other games, uh, other doors uh, to participate in more tournaments and be the referee that I want to be. A representative uh, for FIFA as a good referee and hold the world not only for my confederation, not only for my countries, for FIFA, you know. So that's nice, 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 really nice. And very last thing, what is the one thing just now, like two days before the tournament kicks off, what is the one thing that you're most looking forward to? Or what, what's the one experience that you're really hoping to have? Well, um, when we arrive for a tournament, we expect uh, to know the place when the tournament uh, will be. So that's the first for me. Uh, visit the environment, uh, sur- the surroundings, know it a little bit, uh, and then the game. Then the, the appointment for the game. That's the most uh, uh, the most exciting thing for me. That, that That's the thing that I wave, that that's the thing that I think when I travel and only that first game. Then at the end of the first game, I start to think about in the second game. So That's great. Thank you so much for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful tournament. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the interview. Thank you. Take care. Who to be a get him off, get him off. What a whistle and a little dry to be. It's no protection all the things they throw Toilet rolls and puddles every time I blow So Honduran referee Melissa Borjas there. Now Melissa is still waiting her first actual game that she's getting but she has actually been the fourth official in Saturday evening's game between New Zealand and Holland at Edmonton's Commonwealth Stadium. And it was it was fun talking to Melissa about her experience coming into this World Cup and what she's looking for and, and her history of, of how she got into the, the game. And also from our point of view in the podcast, like we're normally a Vancouver Whitecaps podcast, so to have the chance to talk to her about what the Whitecaps are going to face down there in CONCACAF Champions League action it was also fun. But like, like I said in those interviews... What makes someone want to become a referee? I don't. I don't think I would want to. And but when you see this scrutiny that they come under these days from all the television cameras, from fans watching at home, so much is written about them. Human error. People make mistakes, and I'm I'm bad for it. I get on referees' backs, especially in MLS, where the referees definitely don't seem to be working from the same playbook. Let's see, but. One thing which should make referees' jobs at least a little bit easier in this tournament and in other tournaments that we've had around the world is the introduction of goal line technology. Now, I've always been kind of torn about whether we should have goal line technology in the game or not, partly because I think football should be the same, no matter whether you're the richest club, whether you're the poorest club, league, non-league, youth, whatever. It should be the same rules, applies to all. Now, with goal line technology, the expense of that prohibits the fact that, say, lower league teams in England and Scotland, non-league teams in, in those countries and elsewhere around the world, they can't afford it. And if they can't afford it, then you're not going to see it at youth level either. But with so much at stake in the World Cups, it is good to see it introduced here. It was first used in Brazil in 2014. That was the, the first senior World Cup that, that it was used in. And this World Cup in Canada... It's going to be the first time that goal line technology has been used in a Women's World Cup. So we got a demonstration, we got a chance to see it fully in action on Wednesday at BC Place here in Vancouver. And it was kind of really fascinating to to watch it. You get given a watch and the referees all wear these watches. All the, the assistant referees and fourth officials have it on as well. And within a second, 
you get the result as to whether the ball has crossed the line or not. That's from seven cameras at each end of the pitch, 14 in total, focused on the goal, just kind of seeing, monitoring the action of the ball and and making sure if if it can cross the line or not. Now, there's a number of different systems that's been created across the world for this technology. And the most prominent company kind of behind it is Hawkeye. Now, that's a name that people will be familiar with from watching tennis and cricket as well. Rugby League, Rugby Union, they they all use instant technology. And Hawkeye are the providers in association with ACORN at the 2015 Women's World Cup in Canada. So we got a demonstration, as I said last week, from Lawrence Upshawn, who is from Hawkeye. And we got a chance to catch up with him with a couple of other guys just after the game, just to ask him a little bit about the technology and the future role it could play in football. So here's Lawrence Upshawn. But um, how, does the, how does it recognize that it's a ball that's gone in as opposed to any other object that might enter the net? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, um, a ball is very particular, so it looks for certain characteristics of a ball, so not only the shape, the way it's moving, um, the colour of it, what's on it. So it uses all of these, these factors to work out what is a ball and also what is not a ball. So it's not fooled by um, a keeper throwing his towel in or a water bottle or a sun cap or something like that. So it looks at all of these parameters. And you said there's so there's seven for each goal that are in the catwalks. Yeah, that's right. Seven cameras looking at each goal, dotted around the field of play, so that you know in a close goal line scramble, the ball is always found in in, in at least two of them um, to triangulate up to, to show a, a goal. And it kind of felt instantaneous, but like, what is the actual time the delay? Yeah, so it's within one second. Um, so the, all the match officials will get the alert within one second that the ball has crossed the line. Talk about the, the process of making sure that, the, that it's kept secure because you're, you'll be operating in an environment where there's a full stadium, yes. where there's lots of radio uh, frequency interference, Wi-Fi, uh, broadcasters, I mean, a lot of things going on in the air that we just can't see, but that, that, that relies on it. Yes, so um, sporting stadiums and live, live sport events do bring uh, a lot of challenges to it, but we, we partnered up with um, a company which has a lot of um, background, a lot of expertise in this, so the systems we use are encrypted, they're very reliable. Um, they're dual redundant so we've, we've tested and we've been in use for you know two, two seasons in the English Premier League and various other stadiums around the world to ensure that um, even in the most congested uh, stadium with Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, um, broadcast cameras on, on wireless links that the signal still gets through to all the match officials and to the watchers. What about all the uh, troubleshooting, redundancy, everything? Do you hire hackers to test it for instance because if a hacker got in they could change the, the course of the game for instance? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, like I said, it's very encrypted, and every um, every stage of the the, the system is um, dual redundant as well as um, encrypted and safe and secure. It's not open to um, to everyone. It's not open onto a public network or anything like that. So it's very secure. And like I say, we use um, special encryptions for for the watchers so that only the match officials get them and not the spectators within the stadium. But this uh, is it in use in other aspects in. In, yes, yes. So the, the system is in use in the English Premier League and has been for two seasons. It's been our system's been introduced in the Bundesliga for next season as well as um, Syria. Um, it's also installed uh, in the Dutch Eredivisie at a stadium and uh, Wembley National Stadium for England international and FA Cup fixtures. One of the big complaints about it initially was that folks said it was prohibitive. It couldn't be at all levels of the game. Do you see it getting to a stage, I know you can't discuss actual cost, but do you see it getting to a stage where the cost will come down, that the lower leagues and, and all the countries can get it as well? Yeah, I mean, when you look at technology as a whole, systems as a whole, um, they're always evolving, they're always, the price is always getting more and more attractive to, to everyone, and it's, I think it's only a matter of time, yeah. We've had a lot of interest for, from other leagues as, as well, so, you know, I think uh, two years ago it was a brand new system, and over time it will, it will, will evolve, yeah. So Lawrence Upshawn from Hawkeye there. Now, hopefully this goal line technology will take away from any refereeing controversies. Obviously there's other controversies that goal line technology doesn't help with. I mean, fouls off the ball, fouls on the ball, penalty awards, just all those kind of decisions that's still in the hands of the referees. And I'm sure we will probably have a few of those as talking points as the, the tournament progresses. Going into the tournament, 
the big talking point before all the FIFA corruption and scandal and bribe and set blatter and everything to do with that. The big talking point going into the tournament was artificial turf, football turf, artificial pitches used for the first time in a senior World Cup. Now we've all heard about the lawsuit filed by 40 of the players around the world led by the Americans. Been a lot of hysteria built up in the American press as well. A lot of it nonsense. A lot of the girls that filed those lawsuits, they play week in, week out for their clubs on on artificial turf. And they're happy to make their living by playing on it. But for some reason they saw a chance that they wanted equality. Well, this is the chance to lead the way, not just have equality, but actually set the tone for future competitions. Because FIFA will be watching this very, very closely, see the success of the tournament on the surface, and see if it can be used at senior tournaments elsewhere in the world. There is a chance that a future Men's World Cup could also be played on artificial turf. Could it be Canada in 2026? Well, we can only wait and see about that. So we had a, a lot of chats about... Artificial turf, we got a turf briefing on Wednesday at BC Place as well. We got to see the the pitches in action. Hear from some of the officials in FIFA and the National Organising Committee as to why they decided to put these surfaces in. And we also got a demonstration of how they do the testing on the surfaces. So we've got a little bit of audio to play from round about that. First up, let's hear from Dan Hardman, who's a member of the NOC in charge of just kind of stadia. So here was him talking to myself and a couple of people from Fox Sports, just regarding why the turf is in, why it's different throughout the tournament, and why it took so long for the new turf to be installed at BC Place. It's the same football turf in this stadium as it is in the other stadiums where games will be played? Uh, No, it's not the exact same manufacturer um, across all six of our stadiums. Um, What we have, a, a FIFA preferred producer program, um, there's a number of uh, manufacturers that all meet the, the uh, specific criteria um, and performance standards of football turf, so we have uh, different manufacturers across the country. Is there a specific, a specific reason why you didn't just choose, since it's only six stadiums, to have the same turf to keep that continuity for the players and the teams? It's something working with, uh, you know, we try, we're trying to develop the legacy and the infrastructure that we have in place. Um, we've been utilizing the football turf that's, that's been in place at a number of our stadiums. Um, and also going through a tender process um, to get the uh, uh, the best installation possible. So some of those existing stadiums that also play like American type football. Yep. Yep. CFL football. Those that turf remained the same, or did you bring in new turf? No, no. We have uh, uh, some of our stadia are multi-purpose. All of our stadia are multi-purpose. Uh, some of them do host CFL teams, and we're using the turf that's existing. And that was brought up to whatever the yep. standard yep. was. Yeah. That's, that's what we're finalizing the certification. This being a new surface, and those of us that are walking on the outside of the field are pretty much covered in whatever that <laughs> stuff is. Uh, but you are not uh, staying on the field. So, so can you explain that difference and what potential problem will that material present to the players, if any? I think this is just part of the natural break-in process. You'll be in less than a week old. Uh, as Johannes mentioned, we still have to work on some of the, the compaction and and, and, and letting this, the, the natural settlement of, of the pitch happen, um, and this will dissipate in time. I mean, the, we've been told it takes about eight weeks for something to normally settle. Speaking to the players after the game on Saturday, they felt there was an awful lot of dust coming up. Is that going to be ready and kind of cut out in time for the first game? Yeah, working with uh, the manufacturer and the stadium groundskeeping staff, we're, we're definitely addressing all of those issues uh, in advance of the first match here. And is there any reason it went in as late as it did and not earlier? Uh, part of it was timing. This is a very busy building uh, between uh, the trade shows in the off-season and the MLS schedule. Uh, we had a window of opportunity in May, and we made the best efforts we could. So Dan Hardman there talking about some of the turf issues. As I said, we also got some demonstrations on the testing of it. Now, Vancouver Whitecaps played the first ever match on the surface just over a week ago now, MLS match against Real Salt Lake. Despite what Victor Montagliani said at the opening press conference, the feedback from the players on both sides wasn't particularly good. Biggest complaint was the amount of dust and debris that was coming off the turf, going in players' eyes, covering their boots, 
the managers as well after the game, their shoes were completely covered in grass. And I can vouch for that because from walking around the outskirts of the pitch the other day, my my black trainers that I had on as well, bottom half of them completely covered in green stuff and just absolutely horrible. Check out our AFTN Canada Twitter account and you, you'll see some photos of that. Now, when a new turf pitch is installed, it normally takes anything from like six to ten weeks for it to bed in, for it to compact, for it to be at the top playing ability. And to help it get to that state, it needs action. It needs people to be playing on it. Now, they're not going to have that for the Women's World Cup. We're recording this two days before the first game is going to get played on the turf at BC Place during the tournament. There will only have been one other full game played on it, which was that Whitecaps MLS match. Definitely not enough time to get it fully compacted and up to the standard it would be. Great for the Whitecaps coming back from their five-game road stretch because the the women's players are going to help break the turf in for them, so it's going to be a lot better for them for later on this season. Now, there are also ways that the turf can be aged a little bit further, but they also do rigorous testing on it. They monitor how the ball bounces, how it rebounds, how it rolls, how people will fall on it, how people's boots turn on it, all that kind of stuff. And the company responsible for the testing at this World Cup is Sports Labs, an Edinburgh-based company, so Scotland leading the way, even though we haven't qualified for this tournament. And Niall McPhee was there last week on Wednesday when we were doing our turf briefing, just talking a little bit about the turf, what can be done to the testing, and showing us how some of the testing works. So after he did that, got a chance to catch up with him, with Simon Fudge as well, and we asked him a couple of questions just, just around what testing they do, Will it be ready for for the World Cup? And also, the use of the turf, not just for soccer, but for other sports as well. And other sports is something that Niall knows about, because he was a professional shinty player in Scotland. He comes from Fort William, now based in Edinburgh. So here's a little bit of Scott on Scott action for you, as we talk to Niall McPhee. I just wanted to ask you just a couple of quick things. The, the testing that you've done so far, has it all passed? Because one of the rumours that was at the weekend was that you weren't quite happy with how the test had been so far. Yeah, well, as I say, the process we carry out is on the, on the, on the surface and then we go back to the lab in Scotland and carry out the performance test. It's a, it's a, it's a phased process. It, it doesn't happen just turn up and test. So we're still going through that process. As you can see, I'm still here with the equipment, so we need to get back to the laboratory, do all the sample checks. So it'd be premature to say pass or fail. We're at the game at the weekend, and a number of the players kind of. Some of the complaints were one that their boots are covered in green stuff, yep. um, and the goalkeepers were complaining there was a lot of like pellets and stuff coming up. Is that how it's meant to be, or is that something that needs to be worked on? Well, I, th- I think obviously this pitch has been installed very recently, and it, um, you're going to get that. You get compaction with the rubber over a period of time. But there's many different surfaces and, and there's many different pros and cons of artificial and natural grass. So, I mean, you're always going to get people that have good perception of natural against football turf. So. And the, the fact that the pitch has just been installed and it normally takes like six to eight weeks for it to bed in, it, what can be done to make it ready quicker? Well, I mean, this system would have been designed for that for that process. And uh, and every system, although you get maybe 30 different FIFA licensees and manufacturers, have, have very similar products because they have a very, very stringent process and specification they have to meet. So it reduces the variability very uh, severe. How will it, uh, with other sort of events, like there's been monster truck, music concerts and things, and, it, and in terms of the way that... This surface will have to withstand that. I mean, what will need to be done by the people here in order to make sure that the quality of the surface can can work its way through those events and then still be a very playable surface? Well, I don't think artificial turf was designed for monster trucks, but yeah. there's um, the good thing about art- artificial turf and football turf, as it's called, is it's, uh, it can be maintained. It does require maintenance, which is one of the, the, the problems people don't uh, understand. It does have to have maintenance. But you can work with it and you can get it back. You can add info, you can take info out, you can get the fibre back up. It's a, it's a system that you can work with and it, it doesn't need natural light like natural grass and in very difficult ge- geographical locations and obviously in stadiums you have high roof. So it's, um, it's something that can be worked with and, and there's a lot of experts throughout Canada, installation teams that can, that can help that process. Does it need sort of different treating after gridiron football? Because BC Lions and the Canadian Football League will also play on this this year. Yeah, I mean, systems can be set up specific to that sport. I mean, from from rugby to football to hockey, every system has a different specification. And 
what they can do is they can, specific to the needs of the, the team that come in and play, they, they can change the surface. But again, it would have to be retested as per the FIFA quality concept and ensure that it meets the requirements of FIFA to get the FIFA certificate. And talking to other sports, I know in Scotland there's a number of clubs that, that have used sports labs and my club, East Fife, I know that they've inquired a couple of times with yourselves about possibly getting an artificial pitch in. But one of the teams is Kilmarnock and they have got a pitch put in that is used for, for different sports, as football and rugby. Kilmarnock is a very, very interesting project because it was designed... Uh, for rugby and for football, so it met the IRB Regulation 22 and it allowed the first ever international rugby union to be played at Kilmarnock. Okay. So it, we were involved in that consultancy basis and on a testing basis as well. And that um, that allowed Scotland to go and play Tonga in that game. And uh, the feedback from the Scottish players and the Tongan players were, was very, very positive. It allows fast attacking rugby to be played. Yeah, because we're going to have the rugby sevens here, so that's, kind of, that's perfect. Yeah, I think the rugby sevens will love this one. Yeah. So now McPhee from Sports Labs there, just talking a little bit about the new turf at BC Place. We've had a couple of games on the surface already, didn't seem to be a big talking point. Only one question was raised about it at the official press conference, so that's a good sign. The bad sign for FIFA, of course, is all the questions were about FIFA and like corruption and did Canada pay any bribes to, to get this World Cup? Well, considering they were the only bidders, I don't really think that that was a question even worth asking. But there was a lot of questions about FIFA, to the extent that a couple of times during the press conference, if you haven't seen it, you can check it out on YouTube, but a couple of times during it, the the people at the, the top table basically had to say, any questions about the tournament? Any questions about women's soccer? And when it got to the end, it was like, okay, we'll have two more questions. Does anyone have questions about the tournament? All the hands that were up went down. It's it's sad for the tournament. It does take a little bit of the shine off it because people just want to talk about everything that's going on within FIFA just now. But now that the tournament's underway, hopefully all the action and all the talk, for now anyway, will be as to what happens on the pitch. Obviously some things could still come out uh, in the next couple of weeks that might derail things a little bit, but let's just hope that we're just going to be talking about football action on the pitch for a while. Now, one of the men that was at the opening press conference was Victor Montagliani, good BC boy from Burnaby, and he's the head of the CSA. So he was there answering questions just about Canada's bid, the tournament, and also the CSA's relationship within FIFA and CONCACAF. I got a chance to ask him a question during the the opening press conference because I, I wanted to know about the legacy from this tournament. Now, a lot has been talked about the legacy from the tournament in terms of it inspiring youth soccer players. But what about the senior game? This tournament is being held in Canada, a country where there are no professional female teams. The NWSL, the top women's league in North America, based in the States, Canada does provide players to that league in a number of teams, but no Canadian teams in the league. So I took the opportunity to ask Victor what he sees with regards to the legacy for the senior game. Does he see teams and maybe a professional league coming out of this tournament within Canada? So here's Victor Montagliani. There's been a lot of talk around the legacy from the tournament, especially on the youth side. What's the legacy going to be for the senior side? At the moment, there's no senior Canadian women's teams and there's not a national Canadian league. Do you see that coming out of this tournament? Yeah. Yeah, um... Actually, one of the things I think, uh, I mean, we have a legacy program, but, you know, which has other elements in it. But, you know, from a footballing standpoint, Michael, which is you're asking the question, I think, you know, we are, we're one of the three federations that um, uh, are um, sort of uh, involved in investing uh, into the senior component from a, with the NWSL, National Women's Soccer League. I think the next stage of that is to have um, women's teams in that league within Canada. Um, without mentioning any names, there was two or three that were very close to jumping in to that pool. Uh, I think hopefully this tournament and with the help of our federation, we can push that uh, to have two or three teams involved in that league and then obviously expand from there a platform uh, to have more 
you know, quite frankly, jobs available for women footballers uh, in the future. So Victor Montagliani there. Now, we also got a chance to catch up a little bit with Victor after the press conference, where he spoke to some media for, for a few minutes, just answering some other questions. I was hoping to ask a few more questions, but unfortunately, as you'll hear from this, we really couldn't get a word in edgewise. Thank you, Simon Fudge, for all your questions in there, but at least his questions were good. What really annoyed me, though, was there was a French guy there from CBC tried to hog the, the whole conference that we had, asked about three and a half minutes of questions in French, cut off the girl that asked the first question before she could ask her first question, then... And then Victor said, no, like the lady asked the question. And before she could have a follow-up to her question, he just jumped in and started to hog things. Really annoying, really irritating. So we've cut all his questions out of this. So here's what we did hear from Victor after the opening press conference on Thursday, just talking a little bit about the CSA, CONCACAF, and a few other things regarding FIFA and the tournament. So once again, here's Victor Montagliani. For you personally, what was it like to hear, to be a soccer official in Canada? And the, I mean, the rest of the world was shocked at what happened. What was it like for you personally to have to deal with this and then face us and all these questions today about corruption and Canada and all of that? What's it been like for you personally? Well, I think it's important. I wouldn't put those two words together. Um, there, there is allegations of corruption in the game, but uh, I, I think to put Canada in, in the same sentence is, is wrong. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, we've shown as Canadians, even when the IOC scandal broke, uh, all that kind of stuff, you know what, you never really saw a Canadian passport involved. So, you know what, I think, uh, you know, it's a brilliant opportunity maybe for Canada and leaders, leaders in Canada uh, to really come to the forefront in the game in a lot of ways. So, I think it's, um, you know, um, it's unfortunate what happened. The game deserves a lot better, and we've been saying that for a while now. And, uh, you know, my board of directors has uh, been very courageous in the last... Uh, uh, well, not just the last week, but uh, since we've been together and taking, making some tough decisions. But I, I, I welcome, you know, the news that happened last week or the other day, sorry, uh, with respect to the resignation of, of the FIFA president. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, it was something that was welcomed and I think we can now move forward, hopefully. Have you been approached to be asked to be considered the next elective president of CONCACAF? Uh, approached by? by by other members of the contract in light of what has happened no there has been no uh, approaches that way I, I think nobody's in that space right now I think everybody's in the space of of the gold cup to be honest with you and making sure that runs well and uh, and I can tell you the ticket sales have gone really well um, uh, uh, and notwithstanding the, the trials and tribulations of the last seven days so um, uh, I think that's our focus right now are you interested in the role of being CONCAF president if it was to be presented to you or to be on, an opportunity yeah, before? To be honest with you, it's not, I haven't even thought about it. Uh, my focus, you know, notwithstanding uh, my role there, uh, to, uh, my focus really is here uh, with the Women's World Cup uh, and uh, with the Canadian Soccer Association. Do you see it as all as an opportunity in, in, in light of the fact that it's all been very negative stuff, that Canadian soccer has got a great opportunity here to play a very positive role in the Confederation? Absolutely. I mean, I think our role has increased over the last little while within the Confederation. You know, for the first time ever, we were hosting the Gold Cup in Toronto. Uh, so you've seen signs of, of, of this happening already, and I think perhaps this just accelerates it. The CSA has supported <clears throat> Sepp Blatter in the past, correct? You know, I, all I can tell you is the, the election I was involved, well, it wasn't even an election uh, in 2011. He was the only candidate standing. Uh, I'm not sure about, the only, I can't remember the last time there was an actual election. Yeah, so, I, you know, look how young I am, Bruce. Re regard, <laughs> regardless, though, should, should the country have pushed for change sooner than it did? Because it almost looks like it was following the lead of the United States. No, absolutely not. First of all, first and foremost, I mean, uh, you know, our relationship with the U.S. is very good. Um, and Sunil and I, uh, you know, discuss issues. We don't always agree on issues, um, but there are many technical uh, issues, uh, on the field issues. But off the field issues, it's pretty rare that we don't agree. Uh, so these discussions uh, occurred um, in concert. Uh, it wasn't one leading the other. Uh, and um, the, the truth of the matter is we didn't know uh, officially if uh, President Blatter was actually running because up until a year ago, it didn't sound like mm, whether he was running or not. So it's hard to, to state a position when you don't know who the candidate is or isn't. In a time when hats were high, I had no Canadian flag. Just a sign of David Roger, too scared to purchase larger. But I walked through the Clyde Valley.
So the tournament is underway. Two games played in Group A already on this first day, as we mentioned earlier. A couple more games coming up on Sunday from Group B. And then the action really hots up on Monday. Four games on Monday. Two in Group C, two in Group D. BC plays hosting the Group C games. And we'll have Cameroon versus Ecuador first at 4 o'clock local time. Followed by Japan and Switzerland at 7 o'clock local time. Going to be heading along to that, looking forward to it. My first World Cup I will have attended since the 1994 one in the US, where I saw three games in Detroit. Slightly safer atmosphere and a much nicer stadium. Of course, a lot of the other attention of the, the footballing world will be on Group D. Two games there. Kicks off in Winnipeg with Sweden and Nigeria. And then a fantastic match in store as US take on Australia. Now, Australia were training in Vancouver in the build-up to this tournament. They had a couple of open training sessions, a couple of just normal official training sessions, and also a couple of closed training sessions. And I'd like to thank Nick Kerber from the Australian FA, the media guy, for for inviting me along to one of the closed sessions, having a chance to, to chat to a couple of the girls for the pieces you're about to hear now. So first up, we're going to hear from Australian midfielder Katrina Gorey. Great girl to talk to, a lot of fun, really nice. One of the smallest competitors in the tournament, only five foot. And she's used to to playing in North America. She had a stint with Ottawa Fury. And last year, she played for Kansas City in the second half of the, the season in the NWSL, lifting the championship trophy with the team as well. So here's our chat with midfielder Katrina Gorey. So we're joined now by Katrina Gorey. So Katrina, a couple of days away from your first World Cup finals. How are you feeling? I think we're pretty excited. You know, we've done so much preparation and we've just been waiting for this tournament to kick off. So we're all very excited and we're just going to knuckle down in the next few days just to get all the little things right. And um, yeah, hopefully be ready to kick it off in, in six days or seven days, whatever it is now. And you couldn't really have got a tougher group than, than the one that you've got. You've got three teams, including yourself, that's ranked in the top ten. Rankings, I know, don't count for a lot. But, I mean, what are you... What's your, obviously, you want to win the group. But is it just to make sure you get through the group stage? Is that, like, the first goal that you guys have set yourselves? Um, at the moment, we're really just concentrating on the US game. Um, they're our first game, so... Um, yeah, we'd love to get out of the group stage, but we're just um, after winning every game. So um, I think with the group that we have at the moment, um, you know, we can do damage to to all of those teams. And, and I think, um, you know, anyone could win this World Cup, anyone could win any game, um, especially with the results that have been coming up in like the last few months. Um, yeah, I really think that anyone could, could win these games and hopefully it's us. And that, that's the thing, like everyone focuses on America, especially here. Um, and Sweden, Sweden's the other team you've got in the group, mm-hmm. yeah, and Sweden as well. And I know how good Sweden were because they put the Scottish girls out. Um, but does that kind of play in your favour that you are the underdogs and maybe no one's expecting as much from you as these other teams? Yeah, I think Australia have always been the underdogs. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that the teams know how much damage we can do to, to other teams. And um, yeah, the US, Sweden and Nigeria are all great teams, but I think that Australia has grown so much over the last few years and, and I think that you know the results that we've had in the last few um, months and, and years um, have really showed that how, how far we're growing and how much talent we have coming through Australia at the moment. So you know, I think at the back of their minds they're also thinking you know, how much damage we can do to their team and, and how much talent we have on the field as well. Well, I know, especially in the American match, you're going to have the Canadians cheering you on because they're going to want to see you to take America down a peg or two. But you're one of the players that, that knows a lot of the American girls because you, you've been playing over here. What made you decide to come over to play NWSL with Kansas City? Uh, you know, a lot of our girls ha- have played over in the States or are playing over in the States. I know a lot of the girls as well. Um, 
you know, I've heard so many good things about the league, so I, I wanted to go and I know how many, you know, amazing players play in that league and, and you know, how much it's talked about all over the world. So, um, yeah, I had an awesome stint in Kansas for, for three or four months and got to play with the likes of Becky Sauerbrunn and Lauren Chaney, who are, you know, top, top like world-class players. So um, that was really exciting and I learned so much in that stint over there. Like, where does that rank in your own personal achievements, like lifting that championship at the end of last season? Uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was definitely up there, you know, um, to, to go over there and, and not really know what to expect and, and to get out there and, you know, play with some of those players and, and get the experience that I did over in the NWSL and, and then come away with the championship. Um, you know, it's just the icing on the cake pretty much. And obviously you were here in Canada uh, in 2012 with Ottawa. Mm-hmm. How did you find that whole experience and what brought you to Ottawa of all places? Uh, a few of the girls had played here, um, so Tamika Butts, Vet Uzlana and Ivy Lewick all played for the Fury um, the year before or two years before. So they kind of got me in touch with Ottawa Fury and I think that's kind of where it kicked off. Um, you know, I got so much experience just going overseas and, and learning so much just about the culture and how, how different teams and different countries play. And I think, um, you know, that's where I got called up in 2012 to play in the national team. And so that's kind of where, where it's all kind of kicked off. And um, it's pretty exciting to be back in Canada and just um, experiencing the lovely people in Canada again. And you're used to playing on these pitches. Obviously, that's been a big talking point going into this World Cup. What about the rest of the team? I mean, what kind of, like, how much experience do the girls have playing on these artificial surfaces? And do you think it really does make a big difference? Uh, well, we were lucky enough to have one built for us back in Australia. So we've been training on it um, for like pretty much since January. So we've had a bit of experience in the last six months obviously you know America and Canada they pretty much play all their games on on turf so they're probably you know more experienced on it but you know in the last six months we've had a lot of experience on it um, you know we've come to terms with the fact it's it's we're going to be playing on it so you know that's not really in our minds anymore we we're just here to play and you know the turf is just a part of it. I read a piece or I saw a video on you talking about how when you were growing up you used to play at the weekend for a boys team and a girls team how, how did that come about? Um, so I, I pretty much pl- um, grew up playing with the boys um, I think that's you know where we get our physicality from in Australia if you grow up playing with boys you, you kind of get that and you know at the age of like 15 you kind of they end up getting a bit stronger and a bit faster so you got to kind of head to the girls teams after that so I think it was when I was 13 I was kind of playing boys and girls so I'd head to the boys game and quickly after that I'd go to the girls team girls game so um, yeah that was is pretty exciting and you know a bit of a handful for my mum and dad to take me everywhere and especially if the games clash is a bit hard but you know it worked out and and I enjoyed my my stint with the boys. This is your first World Cup, as we said. Mm-hmm. What's what's the one thing right now that you're most looking forward to? Or what's the one big experience you're hoping to get from this? Um, I'm just trying to soak it all in at the moment. Um, probably just standing in the change room and, and looking all the girls in the face, just knowing that you know we all believe in ourselves to, to go out there and win the game. And, and we all just have that belief that you know we've come this far and, and we're not going to leave with anything short of the, that trophy. That's great. Thanks so much for your time and good luck, especially against America. Thank you. That's great. Thanks. So thanks to Katrina for talking to us there. A lot of fun talking to her. Wish her really well in this tournament. Watching her play and training, little midfield dynamo, fantastic to watch, definitely has the potential to be one of the breakout stars in this tournament. Now it's going to be tough for Australia, I mean they're in a really tough group. As we mentioned there, they're they're playing, there's three teams including themselves ranked in FIFA's top 10 in the women's game. Tough, tough, tough. If they can make it out of that, they might even end up having a group game back here in the second round in Vancouver. Trying to keep these teams at bay... Well, hopefully in goal will be veteran goalkeeper Lydia Williams, who's coming back from an injury. She's come back a little bit quicker than folk expected. Very experienced goalkeeper. Definitely the, the girl that you're wanting to, to have leading the defence for, for Australia. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will know that we do a teammate section. And that's just a fun section where we get a player to just rag a little bit on their teammates, dish the dirt, tell some home truths, share, share their dirty laundry. 
We've done a couple in previous podcasts with the Canadian Women's National Team, so check those out. We spoke to Emily Zurer in episode 109 and Karina LeBlanc in episode 113. It's also something we've done a couple of times with the, the Whitecaps here in Vancouver for MLS action as well. So we thought, why don't we do another World Cup one? So we spoke to Lydia Williams, and here is her Australian teammates. We are the most reliable, definitely undeniable. It's like we're you and I about teammates, teammates, we Uh, so we're joined now by Lydia Williams to do an Australian teammate section. So first thing that we're going to ask you, Lydia, is we start off with the, the easy ones. Now, <laughs> who would you say is your best friend uh, in the team? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess I have most of them are pretty much my best friend. Um, obviously, there's people who I'd probably hang out a little bit more with, um, which is pretty much everyone. I get along with everyone. The people I've known the longest is probably um, Claire Polkinghorn. Um, we've been in the same team together for going on 10 years now. Um, so same with Melissa and um, Lisa. Uh, but uh, Claire used to also be my roomie back in the day. So, um, but, you know, I get along with all the girls, really. Uh, who, who's your roommate now? Um, Savette. Uh, so we, we get along really well, too. <laughs> Now, if you were to look at like the world soccer, women's soccer around the world, which player just now would you love to be Australian that you could have in your team alongside of you? Uh, probably just from a playing perspective. I think um, Kim Little's quite a quality player. That's a good answer. Um, yeah, and unfortunately she's not in the World Cup. So, yeah. you know, it'd be good to have her in our, in our squad playing. Yeah. But, yeah, unfortunate for um, Scotland not making that. Yeah, I know, I'm disappointed. I've yeah. not got a team to cheer for now, so I'm, I'm hoping Australia <laughs> do well, especially against America. Yeah. Um, and you girls seem fun, so we'll definitely be cheering you on. So now for kind of the, the more fun questions for you. So if you think about your teammates, who would you say has the, the best taste in music and who has the worst taste in music? Ooh, best taste in music, I'd probably say myself. Um, no. What, what would that be? <laughs> uh, no, I, I kind of find all the new stuff and... Um, pretty much all the girls kind of we get have a mixture of like dance music and then like R&B um, ghetto music as well so <laughs> we're a little bit um, eccentric with our uh, music taste but um, worst taste I haven't really heard anyone's bad taste really there's bad there's been bad songs but not not a whole of bad music taste and if you were like say you're going out for the night which girl in the squad is going to have the best dress sense? And who really needs some help before she's allowed to leave? <laughs> um, Savette dresses really good. Uh, yeah, she has a great dress sense. Um, she has She's European as well from Turkey, so um, Europeans generally have a, a really good dress oh, sense. Worst dress sense... Um, I wouldn't say worst dress sense, but not not what I'm into. There's been a few girls in the team that probably wear something that I wouldn't wear. So yeah, I'm not going to name names for them. But <laughs> oh no, we want you to name names. Okay, uh, the Canadian uh, girls <laughs> like threw them under the bus. <laughs> Although Rianne Wilkinson from Canada was the person that they all named, so it was a bit, oh, it was a bit fair easy enough, for them. Yeah. No, she probably put her hand up for that. No, um, no, jeez, I don't know. I just uh, the button ups. I will never wear a button up. So there's a, there's a few girls on the team that would wear that. So. Uh, not not my thing, but they like it. Yeah. <laughs> and like on the pitch, who who's the hardest trainer? Like you all train hard, I know that. But who puts in the most work? Who's the first girl out there and the last girl off the pitch? Uh, I think everyone works on different things. Um, I think doing it too much is not um, you know it's a bit detrimental. So I think um, the people that you know work the hardest on what they need to have been kind of doing it behind the scenes. Um, I know that a lot of people have been doing like extra gym stuff and extra core stuff in their room. So, um, you know, we, we've had quite a lot of talks about doing extra stuff, which we kind of do away from the team not to, you know, put on a show or anything. So everyone puts in their part of something extra. And off the pitch, who is the, I don't want to say the laziest, but who's the hardest person to get up in the morning or the person that likes to kind of lounge around the most? Um... Uh, Mackenzie likes to sleep a lot. <laughs> uh, I know that. Um, but pretty much everyone's up and go when we need to be. We have a daily schedule that we have to we stick by. So you You've know. Been waiting. I speak to the Whitecaps guys here. Yeah. They can't wait to 
to no, see who's lazy and stuff. Well, you know, we're, <laughs> we've been together that much that we're all pretty much in sync with each other. Um, so, yeah, when we do get a day off, I would say that, you know, yeah, probably Mackenzie likes to sleep in. So who's the most intelligent girl in the team? You can see yourself. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not. Um, I would say probably Claire or um, KK. Um, Claire's studying, uh, she's trying to get into the police force, which is pretty cool, and um, KK's um, doing pharmacy. So a lot of chemical stuff, which I don't really understand. So she always gets the hard questions about science and everything like that. So, yeah, probably I them. don't want to say who's dumb, but who, <laughs> who maybe doesn't have the street sense? Oh, street sense? Yeah. It was easy for the Canadian girls if they all said Lauren Sesselman. Yeah, uh, street sense. I'd probably say... Oh, I don't know. Street sense. Just a bit ditzy. He's a bit ditzy. Oh, Loz is a bit ditzy, but yeah, I'd say oh, probably should Loz. I should have used ditzy as a word. Yeah, 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 yeah. no. Loz, Loz is probably there for that one. <laughs> Just the last couple of things. Um, who is the, the messiest... Uh, well, you've maybe not rooming with him, but who, who takes the... Who's the messiest in the locker Catley. room? Oh, right away there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and who takes the longest in the shower or in front of the bathroom mirror after you've Ooh. done training or a game? After training or a game? Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, going out. Cause that, oh, that going could out be... as well. Like, who who uh, takes the longest to get ready? Wow. Well, who are you always waiting for? Um, I don't know. Probably, there's, there's a few of us, actually. There's a lot of us that will do about three dress sense changes before they're, <laughs> they're ready to go. I'm one of them. I think Haley's. Sav, um, Loz would be up there. We're all, we're all like a little bit. KK and um, Meeks, they're, they're all, you know, take a little bit extra time in the mirror. And just very last thing, from a personal point of view, what are you most looking forward to in this World Cup? Um, all the, the atmosphere, the crowds and um, the fans and, you know, playing for our country. So I think, um, you know, that's going to be a great... If, if it's anything like Germany, I think... Um, you know, it's going to be even better than then. So, yeah. Well, you're going look- to have a lot of the Canadians cheering you on. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Everyone's been really um, nice so far and, um, you know, behind us for our first game. So, no, it's actually, it's a really beautiful country and I'm looking forward to playing here. Well, good luck to yourself and the team. I hope you do well and we might see you back here oh, later on. Thank That's great. You. Thanks so much, Lydia. Thank you. Thank you. We are the most reliable. Definitely undeniable. It's like we're you and I about teammates, teammates, we. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That was a, a fun little teammate section that we did with Lydia. The, the whole Australian training session was really relaxed. It was really fun. Great bunch of girls. Really wish them well. One other girl to watch out for is another midfielder, Hayley Rezo. And the interesting thing about Haley is she wears a, a different, I want to say scrunchie, I'm not very good with hair, but I want to say a hair scrunchie. She wears a different colour of hair scrunchie to match whatever kit she's wearing, whatever shoes she's wearing. So it kind of changes. So when she's wearing the Australia's yellow, she wears a yellow one. When she plays for her club team Brisbane Roar, she wears an orange one. So watch out for that throughout the tournament as well. But that is it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow all of our Women's World Cup coverage on AFTN.ca. We've got a separate section of this site that's going to be dedicated to the, the, the whole Women's World Cup for the next month. I would give you the URL for that, but it's a really long one. So just get there by clicking AFTN.ca. Look for the National Stroke WWC category. Look for the drop-down menu and click Women's World Cup and you'll find all our articles up on there. We also hope to bring you another couple of Women's World Cup podcasts during the tournament. Because of the restrictions for the rights holders, which obviously we're not, we can't use audio from inside the stadiums or at official training session. So what we're going to do is we hope to speak to a number of the, of the pundits that are here and, and just kind of line up some interviews away from the stadium so that we're not on official FIFA time. And we'll hopefully bring you a couple more of these as the tournament goes on. But that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening as always. I've been Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. As I said, read all our stuff. Women's World Cup and Vancouver Whitecap stuff on AFTN.ca. I'm also the Whitecaps beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com. So until next time, thanks for listening, take care, and mon whichever team you're cheering on in the Women's World Cup. <laughs>
when you're listening in some far-flung corner of the globe to the world service of a Saturday afternoon. Frackly reception, interference, cosy, marvellous. Somehow comforting, isn't it? You know, legendary names, fathers and sons on the terraces, cheesy peas at half-time, pipe for Dad, Mum's at home making the tea. Oh, everything's all right with the world, isn't it? Saturday afternoon is football. Hmm?